Welcome to the Fitness Nerdcast. I'm your co-host Ryan Smith with fellow coach Stephanie Holbrook, where we get a chance to geek out on all things fitness and bring it to you. First off, things presented here are our opinions developed with over 40 years of combined experience. We are not medical doctors and any information presented here is purely informational. If you'd be interested in working with us, please email us at fitnessnerdspodcast at gmail.com or hop over to our website and blog at fitnessnerdspodcast.com. While you're online, don't forget to rate us on iTunes and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash fitnessnerdspodcast. Now on with the show. Hi, uh, this is Stephanie again, and I'm here with Sarika Surenhouse, and she is the author of The Funky Kitchen. And it's all about fermented foods and how to prepare foods properly so you can digest them. So um, another um, great things about Sarika, she's a Chinese medicine doctor and acupuncturist and a Weston A. Price leader and a mom. So she's a superhuman. <laughs> so. so Sarika... First, tell me how you got into natural foods. Did you grow up that way, or is it something you learned along the way? Oh, well, Stephanie, thank you for having me. It's exciting to be here with you. And, um, you know, when it comes to this whole natural foods thing, our family, uh, my parents were somewhat better uh, in how they took care of us. For cereal, we would have Cheerios and shredded wheat instead of fruit loops. And so we were on that gradient. But um, we ate a lot of uh, fast food, um, takeout food a lot. And, um, but it's interesting. I was also raised near my grandparents. And my parents actually were in an industry that they had to prepare food for people. They had, um, they and my grandparents all uh, owned rest homes, residential care homes oh, cool. for seniors. Yeah. yeah. And so I was always surrounded by people cooking. It was often coming from boxes and cans. But it was, um, it was something that we, uh, we did have a lot of cooking going on around us. But by the time my parents made it home, it was oftentimes instead of cooking, we would maybe have Taco Bell or Burger King. Right, because you get tired. Well, you do. I mean, right. enough cooking is enough cooking. Right. And so um, we were raised really um, with a, a pretty, um, oh, not a diet that was perfect. And so, uh, no, I wasn't raised this way. Um, but what brought me into it was I've always had an interest in cooking and food and the effect of food. Um, when I was a teenager, you know, someone's parents would go out of town, and so we'd have parties at people's houses. And I have very clear memories of sitting in the kitchen and um, talking, you know, with people that live there and looking through their food cabinets and seeing what their family ate and then relating that back to how I thought of that family and how I thought of that person and their vitality. Right. And even in high school, I had a friend or two who asked me to pull together a diet plan for them. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess there, started was this, young. <laughs> there was this natural inclination for sure. But, you know, my sister and I both, my sister is a chef, and we both have always had such an interest in food preparation. We would come home from school and we'd put on the PBS station and we'd watch, you know, Natalie Dupree and we'd watch Yan Kang cook and this sort of thing. So we, we did watch a lot of cooking and both of us in our own ways, we've moved into it. 
Cool. Yeah. And how'd you find out about the Weston and Price Foundation? Because um, I don't even remember how I found out about no. Weston A. Price, but that's how we met. Yep. Um, but so do you remember where you got that information? You know, it started, it all started with looking, well, I practice traditional Chinese medicine. And so I do have to get that background um, because traditional Chinese medicine recognizes food as a medicinal component. Right. And, you know, in school we had Western nutrition and Eastern nutrition. And um, so I had that formal education that helped to set the groundwork of this concept around congees, which are long cooking grains and that sort of thing, uh, for ease of digestion. And also using broths, uh, bone broths and, and organ broths, these types of things to help the body recover from injury and illness. Um, but it was actually when I had to take a break from practicing because I was pregnant and nursing and, you know, I was needed elsewhere than in the clinic. Um, I My mind was still very active and I um, had been given the book the Maker's Diet by Jordan Rubin, a friend in the town where we were living, said, Srika, this sounds a lot like the kind of thing that you're into. And I got that book and I looked at it and I said, oh my gosh, had I had this book when I was seeing patients in northern Arizona, I would have handed it out to everybody because this is what I was trying to tell people, but I right. didn't put it into words. And so that was my first introduction to a formalized um, structure for uh traditional foods, um, whole foods. Um, he takes it from the perspective of biblical eating. And I think a lot of people today call it ancestral eating. Right. That's what I call it. And, um, and it was somewhere along the evolution of, you know, getting into those concepts that exactly, I don't remember how I bumped into the Weston and Price Foundation, but you know, it's such an, an incredible Right. Foundation. It seems like you, you find all these different things, information here, there, and everywhere. Right. And then you do research, and you're like, oh, <laughs> this guy knew all this in the 20s. It's amazing. And you're like, holy cow. I know. And it's so um, it's so amazing what it's it just like he puts it all together, and yeah. it makes it like, yeah, you could eat all kinds of things, but make sure you need, you prepare it right. Yes. And make sure you, um, you know, get your healthy fats. Yes. And, um feed your brain and especially the stuff about the prenatal care. Oh my the God. the information about before the baby is even conceived yes. what you need to be eating. That's right. I mean I think that's huge. It's so huge. And you know, here in America these days, you know, we talk about oh you gotta take a prenatal vitamin if you're gonna be you know, it our mindset about it is so different. I know that um, for a lot of women in our country, they consider their pregnancy as a time to be kind of carte blanche with their diet and eat whatever. Oh, and that's scary. It is scary. I'm going to gain weight anyway. And all they're thinking about is a weight gain and that it's going to happen anyway. There's not a connection at all with what those nutritional choices are. Right. Making sure you get all those fat-soluble vitamins so yes. your bone structure is going to be right for the baby. That's right. So they're going to have the cognitive abilities and yes. how their nerves are going to develop. And that's right. That's right. Because that's all derived from saturated fat and cholesterol. Right. And you need to have the good protein structures. Right. You know? So the way that we have approached pregnancy in the United States has been very strange. Uh, when you stand back and look at it from this perspective, right. uh, traditionally, I don't know quite how the ball was dropped in the last few generations right. in relation to that, because 
that's not how it was for people, you know, say the 1800s, right, early Because they were giving women cod liver oil. That's right. That was so important for the baby. Exactly. Yes, and for the mother, too. Right, right. And you know this, you're a mom. And, I mean, it's a very physically demanding thing to be pregnant right. and to nurse a baby. Right. It really, and then to learn to juggle your life in spite of that. And if you're getting by on subpar food, uh, it's going to deplete your body. It does. I know... Um, my grandmother, when she was pregnant with each of her children, she lost teeth. Yes. Talk because, about demineralization. And my dad's teeth, he had horrible wow. teeth. Um, and it's like, you know, that's just a sign that you're missing nutrients. That's such an epigenetic expression right there. Right. You know, where the body is doing the best that it can with the information, i.e. nutrition, that it's being given, right. but in the case of your grandma, uh, that nutrition, uh, the mineralization, the amino acid and protein right. structures, that was instead going to forming a new baby. Right. And her body said, you know what, your teeth aren't as important as getting this little one built up. Right. But there wasn't even enough reserve for your father to have, have what good he teeth. needed. I know. Yeah, and that is that's a thing that happens when you I know, know we don't get enough of what we need. And it's crazy. My um my nutrition was better with my youngest sons, my mm. older son, um, and that's just because I knew more. Mm -hmm. And it was a little frustrating, but because my nutrition was better, um, my older son needed glasses. His yeah. teeth are were not as good. Right. My younger son. Um, has not needed glasses, his teeth are better. It's just like, it's those little things. And, you know, it's, um, book is a great resource. It makes it so easy to figure out how to make these fermented foods mm -hmm. um, and getting them into your diet to provide good nutrition for you and your family. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. You know, I pulled it together um, because I really did want to have something that was an easy, not overwhelming, not too much information, step-by-step. So folks could say, okay, I'm going to take on fermented beans or, and, you know, I'm going to go in that direction and kind of see how that right. works. And then once they feel like they've got some traction with that, moving on to, you know, making yogurt or something yeah. like that. In our family, the way it all began is I had this spare time on my hands, which is kind of an oxymoron when you're in mother nursing. Right. But I did have this time at home. Right, you had to be there to nurse, but you, <laughs> I know, I, I'm guilty of whenever my son was, I was nursing and my hand was on the mouse right. going searching the internet. <laughs> so. I know, isn't it the truth? And, and then one side was like, oh, I have to switch. That's right, and I'm not as good with the mouse on the other hand. <laughs> But, you know, for me, I just, I had a light bulb moment one day, and um, I was eating some goat yogurt that we'd purchased from the grocery store. And I just thought, wait a minute, you know what? In Europe, somewhere, someone is making yogurt completely from scratch, from milk right now. And how does that happen? And it, it really struck me as alchemy. And well, it, is. it is alchemy, right. you know, I mean, because you go from this liquid Food, this liquid substance to something that has a, a greater shape and form and a different flavor profile. And certainly we can say that any type of transformation we make in the kitchen, whether we're, you know, cooking up some macaroni and cheese, whatever it may be, um, it, it's all a degree of alchemy. It's all an expression of right. that. But there was something about this that I found very magical. And so um, I uh, just went to an online search and said, what do I need to make yogurt? And there was in this little town, I mean little town in eastern Arizona, and I was able to go to our local grocery store and get everything I needed to make yogurt. 
and I did, and I have to be honest, I mean, the first time you do something like that, I think it's very understandable to not trust yourself right. and the safety of the process, um, and so the whole thing feels like a leap of faith, um, and it is when you finally... And it's sort of exciting whenever you taste exciting. it. You're like, woohoo! I know. It's very, it's a mix of everything. Right. You are. You're excited and you're scared and it's all of these things. Um, and then, you know, you eat it and you realize, my gosh, that kind of sounds like, or tastes like what I'd get at the store. And, um, I'm still standing. Everything yeah. is okay. And you get a little bit more comfortable with the process. Well, I think, you know, with water kefir and kombucha, mm -hmm. people are always worried about that because it's just sitting on your counter. Right. But um, I have gotten mold, and I can tell you, you will know it. Oh, when yes. When you see it. Oh, yes. And that's what's scary. You think, yes. well, how will I know it? I, you will know it. You will know it. You'll <laughs> see it. I mean, we, you know, I think there's something in us. We're hardwired to freak out when we see scorpions. Right. We're hardwired to freak out when we see black widows. And I think we're a little hardwired to freak out when we see mold. And, yes. <laughs> so it's not an issue. <laughs> I have, I made some, um, some, uh, sauerkraut the other day. Uh -huh. And one of them I had it out and I, it turned out perfect. Oh, good. I know, so good. You know, yeah. it was like with the bits and ends of mm -hmm. different vegetables. Good. Yeah. And then I had another one out and apparently I didn't push the water down or something. Right. And it was not good. It was not good. It was, uh, obvious yes it had all kinds of gross that like you're like that does not look like that's something pickled right. yeah <laughs> that's slimy and it might be a little fuzzy too <laughs> yes <laughs> so you do you know and um there is a safety mechanism that's built into this whole idea of lacto-fermentation the the process of lacto-fermentation creates a very sour environment if you will and this sour environment makes it really difficult for other bacteria to thrive. And so there's been research done on fermented vegetables versus raw vegetables. And fermented vegetables are head and shoulders way safer than a raw vegetable. And it's because you've allowed these, these um, life-enhancing, gut-benefiting uh, probiotics to naturally occur in the fermentation that they're not going to be there in those quantities on raw veggies and the raw veggies are also going to probably have other bacteria that might not be so good for our systems right. and so uh, when it's right it's a really safe food to eat very very life enhancing and we have to remember i mean these days we are part of the refrigeration nation i mean we are people who live and die by our refrigerators and um, 200 years ago, that was not the case. They did not have They did not have it, exactly. Our bodies, our development as humans, has evolved with this concept of fermentation and what it is that this fermentation uh, delivers in terms of food preservation, but also what it delivers in terms of enhancing our digestive and immune capabilities. I mean, there was a uh, research study, uh, a big, long research study, the Human Genome Project. Oh, I've heard about it, yeah. Yeah, and they thought, oh, we're going to find this big genetic difference between humans and everything else. And what they found is there's not much difference at all. And so the researchers went back to the drawing board, and they said, well, okay, let's look a little deeper and see what's going on. 
Well, it turns out that we are basically just sharing space with the microbes that live within us. Oh, yeah. They outnumber our body cells by about 10 to 1. Yep. They are the ones that really are driving the car. Right. <laughs> and what we're doing is feeding them. And that's what our we're Our existence doing. is feeding them. It's feeding them. And when they are out of balance and they are unhappy, our bodies are unhappy. We feel unhappy physically and also emotionally. It really has quite an impact. And so um, there's a lot to be said for the necessity, not just the desire or the good idea about, but the absolute necessity for incorporating uh, these cultured foods in our diet every day. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I think that, um, you know, modern mes medicine, I saw a little cartoon that said, you know, a doctor, he was like, doctor, what do I need to do? Because you need to go home and... Um, eat well, which I, you know, they could have included fermented foods and, sure. and, and um, that sort, and um, meditate and relax and, you know, um, don't take life so seriously. And that would be a better prescription yeah. than giving them a pill. Right. And especially antibiotics, you're killing off the bacteria in your system. Oh, yeah. I Absolutely. mean, these, those bacteria you consume in fermented foods are your little warriors against, yeah. you know, Everything. Pathogens. <laughs> so true. <laughs> and you know, the thing of it is, though, I was actually just um, emailing with a colleague, a nutrition colleague, this morning, and um, there is a little boy who's quite sick under her care. And my suggestion, of course, was to get into using a little bit of fermented food. I said, but don't go too fast because he's going to have a war inside of him right. between the pathogenic uh, bacteria, those that, that are not in his favor. Uh, with what she's going to be delivering, bringing down the pike, there's going to be a struggle. And so when a person is really compromised, it's really a smart idea for them to start slowly with incorporating these uh, fermented foods. And what I told her, and I'll say here too, is that um, when we get into these concepts and these techniques of food digestion, where we will ferment foods that, that many of us would never even think to ferment, so we could talk about nuts and seeds, or we could talk about grains or beans, something like that. When we use these fermentation methods, we may end up cooking off and killing the bacteria that we've used in the fermentation process. But what those little guys have done for us is they have actually created the domain of the large intestine in the fermenting bowl, the fermenting chamber. And what they do then is they take the more complex carbohydrates and deliver them into being more simple sugars, easier to digest, smaller molecules. Uh, they do the same thing with proteins. They break those protein structures down into easier to digest amino acids. Everything gets changed. And so even though a person may not be consuming the actual bacteria themselves once these foods are cooked, they're going to be receiving the benefits of these techniques. And it's, it's a good way to go for people that really have been gut compromised in some fashion. And quite honestly, these days, there are many natural medicine practitioners who don't say, do you have leaky gut syndrome, but rather, how much of an issue do you have with it? Right. So it's kind of a given that given the toxic environment that we've created, that, that we're going to be compromised to one degree or another. So using these techniques to help to support um, the, the ease of bioavailability of the foods we're eating is so important. And then as the body begins to heal and recover, you can slowly increase the amount of actual fermented products that, that maintain the bacterial component 
into so you just sort of ease into it and yeah. like you allow the, the environment for the good bacteria to exist first yes and then introduce the good bacteria exactly very cool yeah slow and easy yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so your funky kitchen um why did you decide to write the book you know i was going to be giving a presentation to a lot of other natural health care practitioners and i was uh pulling that together and i have my book I'm sorry, not my book, but my website, which is naturallylivingtoday.com. And um, one of the other presenters who is a, he's a author many times over on natural health issues, his name is Dr. Jack Tips. Um, Jack said to me, Sarita, look, you should write a book. You have enough information here. And I had never really thought that I would do something like that. But when you have someone who has done it many times and you respect how they practice, you know, you take note of their suggestion. And so um, that was uh, that was the impetus behind it. And then after I had it ready for the presentation and it was well received, I got to looking at that first version and I thought, you know, this has some photographs in it, but I really want this to be a book that people can pick up, look at the photographs and say, okay, that's kind of what I would expect from that phase. Well, how it's going to look like. Right. Exactly. And so I, I did a second version of the book where I changed a couple things in the wording, but it was mostly just bringing in a lot of professional photographs. Cool. Yeah, because yeah, I enjoy the book and I think it's super easy to read. Even though I have made fermented foods before, mm -hmm. I was um, it's sort of like if you need a like, oh, I'm, I just need a reminder. Exactly. Right. Well, you know, I mean, even this morning or last night, I had gotten a bunch of produce and I had just been missing having some fermented vegetables. Because everything else we do is fermented. I drink water kefir every day and ginger bug and all of these things. But sometimes you just want some fermented veggies. And so I got everything to do that, did it last night, and I had to stand back for a moment and look back at my book and say, how much salt did I need for, right. you know, about what I have to work with here? And um, it's, in my book, I, I often tell people it should have, the subheading on it should have been, you know, Ode to Water Kefir. Because what I use as a safeguard, and any person could, would be um, priming the pump, if you will, of whatever I'm fermenting with water kefir and using that as my starter to yeah. fermenting because it just gives a safe push. And it's easy. Water it's kefir so is like easy. the easiest thing. It's the easiest thing ever. And then you just start craving that stuff. So, um, <laughs> just so you know, like, because a lot of people are, like, wondering about the mystery of water kefir. Mm -hmm. You just get water kefir grains. Mm -hmm. um, Sarika actually melts her sugar in water first and lets it cool. <laughs> what Stephanie does is just pour the organic brown sugar into the jar. And then I fill it up. <laughs> no, and the thing is, is I have to say, when I was last at Stephanie's house, I watched her do that, and I thought, you know what? I'm going to go home and see how that works. It works fine. Follow Stephanie's rule. <laughs> I have the um, low-maintenance version. <laughs> and then um, kombucha is another thing. Um, it's, mm -hmm. it's super easy to make. You just make tea, let it cool, add organic sugar, um, pour in two jars of uh, the kombucha, uh, unflavored kombucha from the grocery store. Um, put on a paper towel on the top and you stick it in the back of your cabinet and leave it until you can pull it out and there's like something floating on the top. That's wonderful. Yeah, it's it's pretty simple. That is pretty simple. That's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although you can only, water kefir is a lot 
easier to drink than kombucha? It is. I think kombucha is on the continuum of apple cider vinegar in terms of flavor profile. Right, right. Yeah. It can get pretty tangy. And yeah. um, and that's because there's more acetic acids that take over. As yeah. opposed to water kefir, when it's in its perfect place, it just has a little bit of carbonation and there's very little sweetness, but there's no um, acidity to Right, it. there's not um, the vinegar taste. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's not that either is bad, but I mean, you're going to be getting some different experience from each of them. Right. I mean, that acetic acid, if you have that regularly, and that can start to wear on the enamel of your teeth. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I've read where people have had um, really negative effects from just drinking kombucha right. over and over, over and over. over. Yeah, mm -hmm. it makes your body a little, uh, changes the acidity. I can see that. Yeah. So, um, if I do mostly water kefir, mm -hmm. and then I'll have kombucha like a couple days a week. But what I do is, because I can only stand it so much, um, I'll dump a whole bunch of sugar in there mm -hmm. so it'll live. Yeah. And then just stick it in the back of the cabinet until I decide I want it again. Right. Yeah. And that's great. It's so much. I love ease of use. Yeah. <laughs> that's wonderful. So what's your favorite thing to make? I know you mm -hmm. make the breads all the time. I do. I just made some yesterday. Turned out great. And they're really good. <laughs> Thanks. I meant to bring you some. I forgot. <laughs> but yeah, I do enjoy making the bread. Um, on the weekends, what I do is I kind of prime for the week, which becomes like the family version of fast food. Um, and so making the bread, a loaf or two, is a good thing to do. And I'm, that's a bread that is called, I call it water kefir bread. The recipe, the basic recipe for it's in the book. Um, but then there are all these derivations you can do on it. You know, yesterday I took half of the, the dough and I added uh, coconut crystals and some cinnamon and some fermented um, uh Pumpkin seeds, Ooh. yum, and uh, raisins, and made you know added that into the bread. It was really good, um, and so that's what's in the kids' lunches today. Um, so yeah, the bread is one thing. I really also like fermenting beans because I find beans are a terrific food if they are pre-digested this way, and they are cheap. That's the other thing. I mean, a lot of folks feel like, oh my gosh, to eat this way, it's going to be costly. And there are right. components that are. I'm not right. going to lie. You're buying yeah. some ghee, some grass-fed ghee, yeah. you know, clarified butter. That That's not a cheap endeavor, but but it delivers on so many good fats that it's worth it. It's right. a powerhouse nutrition right there. So it's true. There are components that are expensive, and so when you can counter that with something that's not, that's great. And beans are a terrific way to do that. Whole grains, too. Right. And I know that we live in the age of paleo and people being right. afraid of grains, but they're, I think if you prepare them right, you're yeah. good. And I think, you know, you don't need a grain meal to prepare the, the whole grains because I do, I just put the whole grains, mm -hmm. cover it with water, kefir, mm -hmm. and then leave it for um, a day or two. Yeah. And then strain them, and then I mix them in uh, my magic bullet, uh -huh. and then I can make the bread. Yes. And you, you you have a grain mill, don't you? I have a grain mill, and I work with the grains when they're dry. And your bread, I think, would turn out more like a manna bread, which yeah. is chunky and kind of moist. Yeah, yeah. and it's really, I mean, I like the moist Substance, yeah, yeah, it's wonderful. I think that's great. Um, yeah, we have a grain mill, and so I'll get, you know, 25-pound bags of, uh, ancient grains um, and whole grains, organic. And where do you order those from? I tend to get stuff from Azure Standard yeah. out of Oregon. I know there's a lot of folks who do that. Mm -hmm. I've got stuff from Whole Foods and stuff because I don't make mm -hmm. as much bread as you do. Right. But um, I think, you know, 
a great resource, um, we'll just say it now, is if you find a Weston A. Price foundation, you know, leader chapter, chapter mm-hmm. in your area, it's a whole, um, it will open a whole world to you of resources to yes. find the things you need to make these fermented foods. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. And that's so important. It is because um, I became quite the sleuther when I was living in this small town in eastern Arizona and was wanting to continue to grow my knowledge and also the tools I had to work with. And so I got really good at searching things down. And by the time we moved to the Phoenix area, where there is a lot more um, opportunity to get things, um, I still had those skills. And so I, 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 my proclivity at this point is to always dig deeper. And uh, so no matter where I go, I start searching before I even leave of, okay, where are my sources going to be for my raw milk? What are my sources going to be for the grains I'm going to use? And then I always travel with water kefir because at a little bit of grains, I can take them with me anywhere, feed them sugar water wherever I am, and it'll allow me to ferment whatever I pick up from, you know, say I'm in a you know, small town in Minnesota or something, I can go into their natural food store. I can pick up a bag of milled flour if I choose and make water kefir bread while I'm on the road Um, or whatever the thing may be that we want to ferment, which is pretty much everything. Right. I mean, and it's so easy once you get in the habit of it. Yeah. It's just something about um, fermenting though, you have to plan ahead. Always. You know, there is, that's why I call it the, our family's version of fast food Um, because if I were to do it meal by meal, we would go hungry. We right. can't, it, you, it, when you're really into the habit of doing this kind of thing, you simply have to plan your meals about a day ahead if you don't have some of the basic components made up. Right. And for us, I mean, those basic components is, you know, like over the weekend, I made some sprouted brown rice and I fermented that. And kids love brown rice. So we have that in the fridge and we've got the bread. And then I'll also, um, I'll usually steam up sweet potatoes and yams and potatoes that we'll have to use during That's the week. Right. Yeah, to reheat It just them. makes it easier because then yes. if it's already pre-cooked. Oh, my God. And if you only heat, the, here in Arizona, you don't want to heat your house. No, you don't. Um, more than one. You want to put, if you have the oven on, you want it to be on for a big, you know, the That's time right. you have it on and then be done. That's right. And not one minute more, thank you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's true. And so, yeah, when you do this kind of stuff, it's, it's true. You do have to plan ahead. But the benefits are so worth it. And there's very little that in our house that I won't make, that I won't have leftovers on. Right. Because it is all a little bit more labor-intensive to do it. But the thing is, is we all spend time either popping into a fast food restaurant or grabbing, you know, something prepared from the grocery store. That all takes time. I right. mean, I don't care who you are. It's not just showing up on your doorstep usually. And even that would take time. And so this whole concept of things taking so much more time, it really is not true. What it requires is an extra step of preparing it in terms of, okay, I'm going to add it to the water kefir, whatever your starter culture is, and the water, and let it soak. But then it's just time. Right. Then you just give it a day, and you do nothing. And then you come back and you cook it, and then it cooks up in an even shorter time period than right. it would have otherwise. Well, it's super easy with soak beans and Oh, my stuff. golly. Because it, you just, and I, my water kefir is like, um, it sort of grows like a weed. So I have yes. gallons, yes. and I just pour it out and soak it and cover it up with a paper towel. Fabulous. And you know that it's good stuff going on in there because flies are attracted to it. Yeah, if, that's right. Um, my husband freaks out about, like, all oh, the little buzzing flies. Wanted, but, flies. Yeah, but, you know, 
then you know that if an if a fly wants to eat it, you should be eating it too. Like, yes, I mean, it's if, real. if yeah, it's real food. If you, uh, I read an article about this. Um, this doctor said, you know, I almost don't trust it unless there's like some bug in my in my lettuce that I know that some there's you know, been some attraction. There. Right, the bugs want to eat it. You that's know, that's right. There's a degree of vitality. Right, that's happening there. And that's very true. And of course, it's just a matter of then keeping those little buggies out. Right. And I mean, you know, no, a, just a, a cinch paper, paper towel. towel will work fine. Right. Yeah. But I agree with you completely. I mean, we're talking like food there. Yeah. There's that attraction. And that is, it's so important. And you know, the thing is, rounding back again to um, the mold issue, um, over the weekend, one of the other things I was going to make was some split peas. And I put them into a bowl with water, kefir, and everything. And if you don't do this yet, what you'll find is sometimes when you go to ferment a grain or a bean or something like that, or even a nut or a seed, is um, as the fermentation process is happening, that generates carbon dioxide. And the carbon dioxide, just like when you open a champagne bottle, you're going to have these bubbles that rise to the surface. And so when that happens, if there's any type of starch that is part of what's rising to the surface with the bubbles, uh, you're going to start to get a starch layer over the top of the um, over the water, the soaking water. Well, it was a warm weekend, and warmth and fermentation um, is something that that really speeds up the process right. and it changes things a little bit. So our house was warm, and I didn't check on those peas for 24 hours while I came back. Oh, and 24 they were hours. already gone bad. They went sideways on me. And what it was is it was just like we were saying at the beginning. I mean, you, that's what happened to my sauerkraut. Yes, you see the mold across the yeah. top, and you think, oh, gosh darn it. Usually, with working with these types of foods, unless it's nuts or seeds, you're not into it for too much money if something goes wrong, which is an important thing. Right. You know, it's a learning curve. I mean, heck, I've been doing this a long time, and there was this little bit of mold that happened. We had to put that in the compost pile. So, you know, that's one of those things that um, even for the most seasoned kitchen, you know, uh, culture, it's going to happen from time to time. And you know when it does, you can see it. So, yeah. Yeah, you'll know. <laughs> you'll know. <laughs> that's what my first. That's what happened with my sauerkraut um, because it's warm. You know? Yes, it's and the first enough. batch was like, oh my gosh, this is good. Yeah, and I just made it with bits and ends of vegetables that I chopped up, so like good. the part of the the stem of the broccoli, yeah. the the center of um, the cauliflower, yeah. and then the rind of. Lovely. Oh my gosh, it turned out perfect. And I think it would. It would have lots of texture. Oh, it's really yummy. Yeah. Um, and I put some, I still put some carrots uh-huh. and some um, cabbage. Ooh, oh my gosh. I bet it was yummy. Oh, it was super, super good. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can eat this all myself. <laughs> and then the other one I left out, I left in my pantry for like an extra two days and I opened it up and it was fuzzy. Isn't that I was so like, and, you know, and the thing is, is we do, we get these surface molds, we can't see them, right. you know, to our eye, and they can be, and they're always on the air, even here in a dry state like yeah. this, but my gosh, you add to it some moisture in there, and I mean, that's really up the ante, um, but also it's the heat, yeah. you know, the heat is It a takes a lot less time to ferment stuff in Arizona than other places. It's true, that, that cooling process, in fact, with the veggies I made, um, I put them into an ice chest with a couple of freezer packs in there today to just keep things, even though it's indoors, to still keep it hopefully in the, you know, 70 to 75 degree Right, because we keep it 
like here, we keep things about, our house is about 80 to 82. Exactly. And ours is even warmer than that by the end of the day. And um, so things, you know, ferments, they go sideways very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. When you do that, it just pushes everything too hard. And we're really, for as, as indestructible in many ways as fermented foods are, um, in other ways, they um, they do have these windows that they like to work in. Otherwise, you start to get um, an right. abundance of other types of Yeah, bacteria. too cold, it's not going to ferment. Too yeah. hot, it, it could, like... Get it, go a little crazy. It goes crazy. Yeah. Exactly. So you do. You want to because you have to remember, uh, like making fermented veggies. I mean, where, where's the first place we think of who makes it? Germany. Yeah. Germany's not exactly a, a hot place. Right. It is pretty different than Arizona, um, or other warm places in the U.S. or Europe for that yeah. matter. Um, and so you have to kind of honor, you know, the historical places where these things come from, and try and recreate that as best you can in your own environment. Yeah. Cool. Well, we are about out of time, Sarika. So where can someone find you? Oh, thanks. Well, I've got my website, which is naturallylivingtoday.com. And folks can, you know, go ahead and send me an email from there or contact form. And um, my book, if anybody's interested, they can go on to Amazon. And it's The Funky Kitchen. Um, and um, I think my subtitle to it is One Soccer Mom's Favorite Traditional Food Techniques and Recipes. And, um, yeah, so I would say those would be the first best places. Very cool. And thank you so much for coming today and interviewing um, for me for my podcast. So I hope my listeners get a lot out of it. Thank you. Have a great day.